Welcome to the Refuge Recovery Podcast. Refuge Recovery is a Buddhist-oriented path to recovery from addictions. For more information, please visit us at refugerecovery.org. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the first Thursday uh, offering of Refuge Recovery World Services. Noah, welcome to anybody I haven't met before. I always like to try to remember to remind anybody that's logging in to this for the first time or listening later on YouTube or the podcast or something that this is not a refuge recovery meeting. This is a um, refuge recovery world services teacher led offering that I do once a month. I do a first Thursday of every month where I pick a, a topic and I lead a meditation that's not necessarily right out of the book and uh, give a talk and have some discussion. So welcome. If you're looking for a refuge meeting, you're welcome to stay and join us for this, but also find a, a peer-led refuge recovery meeting where you'll be able to connect with the Sangha in a way that this uh, doesn't really afford you. want to talk tonight and do a meditation about, basically about relationships and um, you know, one of our core uh, principles in refuge recovery is taking refuge in the Sangha and the relationships that we develop with each other, with the people that we meet in recovery and our Buddhist communities. And, and um, this encouragement and importance of being of service to each other and mentoring and, you know, passing on to each other and asking and how there's this sort of threefold level of relationships in Sangha, the people that we kind of look up to a little bit that mentor us, people that have, you know, walked the path of recovery before us and, and are kind of going to help us point out to us. Hopefully then there's that level of peers, people that you uh, come in with, get sober, get into recovery around the same time and, you know, kind of do the the practice of recovery together. Uh, and then there's the people who, you know, come in later and that you're there to, you know, reach out your hand and offer your phone number and, and be of service to each other. And the importance of community, what we call Sangha, and also the dilemma of Sangha, and the dilemma of, um, you know, our, our very natural human uh, tendency to get attached to each other to cling to, you know, whatever codependency issues or attachment issues or, um, or, you know, or aversive, you know, kind of resistance to the uh, intimacy or, or connection that, that, that happens when in recovery and in relationships, you know, not just intimate relationships, but in, in this way, I'm mostly talking about uh, friendship. The Buddha uh, over and over said the importance of having wise friends. And in recovery rooms, uh, you'll meet, you know, some of the greatest, wisest uh, people uh, you'll ever meet in your life. And you'll also meet some of the worst, <laughs> you know, kind of wounded, unhealed, untrustworthy uh, people too, you know. So it's certainly refuge recovery is not a, um, you know, safe haven for, you know, like, well, we're all in recovery, so everybody's honest, like, just not true. Um, you know, you'll meet the best and, and the most wounded people um, in recovery rooms. And some have done a lot of healing and some haven't. And so we're kind of all in this, in this together. 
And so the meditation that I'll do uh, when thinking about this, of course, there's all of the practices that we um, develop around compassion and learning to care, learning to care about our own pain, learning to see the pain and confusion that other people are in. You know, so often when we're being, you know, offended or annoyed or, um, you know, hurt in some way by others, we just see them as like the other and the enemy and uh, the jerk, the asshole, whatever we, you know, kind of label them. Um, but a huge part of our Buddhist practice is to see them as suffering beings, see their pain, see their confusion, what's going on underneath uh, that uh, unskillful action. You know, what is it that's fueling it? And it's, you know, in, in Refuge, talk a lot about how it's always some confusion, some unskillfulness, some ignorance. And we don't always see that. We just see the unskillful behavior. So compassion as a central necessity in, in relationships, having compassion for each other and tolerance and, and acceptance. And balancing compassion with equanimity with the, the necessity of seeing that, um, you know, the reality is, and I think part of the reason I'm bringing this up is because the last, you know, three or four months, I've been walking through uh, a change in this uh, relationship with one of my lifelong friends who'd been in recovery for a long time and started to say all of the things that people say when they're getting ready to relapse, not participating in Sangha anymore, starting to say, I don't believe in community anymore, starting to alienate themselves, and then starting to say, I'm not sure that abstinence is necessary, and, you know, kind of setting up the relapse. And, um, you know, in my own practice, even though I'm 35 years, you know, into this thing, still that like, ooh, I'm actually attached to this person. I, I love this person. I'm attached and then seeing like, oh, I, I really need to apply equanimity here. I really need to remember that uh, what refuge recovery is teaching me, what Buddhism is teaching me is, you know, the compassionate, loving non-attachment and um, equanimity being the most clear, in my mind, teaching from the Buddha where he says, remember that um, no matter how deeply we love, everyone has their own karma. And everyone's happiness or unhappiness depends upon their own actions, not our compassion, not our love, not our um, desire for them to be wise or skillful or, uh, you know, that it's all personal responsibility, that everyone has to find their own way, walk their own path. And so thinking about compassion and thinking about equanimity, and I'll do an equanimity meditation, but I but also um, of impermanence and transience. You know, it's one of the first things as we meditate and we do mindfulness meditation and we pay attention to our breath and we pay attention to our sensations and to our mind states and emotions. One of the first transformative insights that meditation uh, lends itself to is the understanding of impermanence, you know, and not an impermanence as a um, uh, an idea or a knowledge, but a, an insight, a wisdom. Everything is constantly changing, including our relationships, including our friendships, including our sangha. Um, you know, I've been teaching meditation for over 20 years, more like 25 years. And uh, like this class I teach every Monday night in Venice in, in California. 
And I've been teaching it every Monday night for 18 years. Before that in New York City, before that in San Francisco. So for the last 25 years, every Monday night, I've been showing up to this meditation class and teaching it. And hundreds, probably actually thousands of people have come through. And there's always, you know, anywhere from, you know, 50 to 150 people in the room. But, you know, the people that were there 20 years ago aren't there anymore. <laughs> and even the people that were there five years ago and the people that were there one year ago, the community, and you'll, you'll see that many of you have been in recovery for a long time. You see that you go to the meetings and you'd be like, wow, there's, you know, there's always 20 people at this meeting. But there's not the same 20 people. There's this rotating cast uh, and this impermanent cast of, of characters that comes through our lives and our recovery and, you know, and our very human tendency to cling, to get attached and to have some healthy grief and uh, about when people leave, when people relapse or, or just, you know, disappear in whatever ways. So I'm sort of walking through that, and my partner and I were talking about this earlier, uh, about navigating the relationships in recovery. So I thought we'd do some uh, equanimity meditation, and then we'll have some more discussion about, uh, you know, this very important piece, which is like connect with each other, be of service to each other, with uh, uh, understanding that you know, likely a lot of these relationships will be impermanent, will arise and sustain for some time, and then may not last for, you know, forever. Um, so find a way to sit upright, relaxed, welcome, and we'll, we'll meditate, we'll just like 20 minutes of a meditation, then we'll have some, some discussion. Finding a way to be that is upright, relaxed, a posture that feels sustainable. Allowing our eyes to be gently closed. Taking a moment to release any unnecessary tension, softening the brow, releasing the jaw, the shoulders. As you exhale, see if you can soften your belly. Letting go. Softening as an act of non-clinging, letting go. Take a couple minutes to direct the awareness to the breath, mindfulness of the impermanent nature of each breath. Attuning our full attention to how each breath has a beginning, a middle, an end.
once said that all of the Dharma will be revealed right here in this body. Mindfulness is our practice of investigating, turning towards, and seeing more clearly the Dharma, the truth, the nature of impermanence. The arising and passing of sensation, emotion, thought, sounds coming and going. with the intention of non-clinging, let go, softening as an act of letting go. Soften your jaw each time you notice that it's become tight. Soften your belly, your shoulders. And then bring to mind, use your mind to recollect, reflect. Bring to mind someone who has been important to you in your recovery so far. Someone in the Sangha, a mentor, a friend. Someone that you are mentoring, someone that you feel connected to that's helping you or you're helping, walking together this path of recovery. Reflecting on our friend or our Sangha connection with compassion. Seeing the difficulty that they have walked through and feeling as much as you can, feeling the care, the compassion. That part of the heart that says, I care about you. I want you to be happy. I want you to be free from suffering. I want you to successfully heal and recover. And acknowledging if there is, where there often is, that part of us that mixes that healthy, loving, compassionate sense with some attachment, some clinging. 
a feeling of how we want people to be other than they are, that we're attached to them doing what is right, what we think is right, what the Dharma teaches us, we're attached to them staying in recovery. where love and compassion is mixed with clinging or controlling. Remember to soften the belly. As soon as the clinging comes in, often our bellies get tight, the body clinging or the jaw the shoulders. So helpful in meditation to stay soft and open. So sending love and compassion and bring, beginning to bring equanimity, this reminder, this training of the heart that says, I care about you and I understand that you have your own karma. And that your happiness or unhappiness does not depend upon my wishes for you, but upon your actions, how you respond to your own mind, how you respond to the circumstances of your life. In some ways, this equanimity is saying, I care about you, but I know I can't control you. Reminding ourselves. I care about you, but I know I can't control you. And if at some point, after a couple of minutes of reflection on compassion and equanimity, it feels like that's you know enough for now with that person, maybe someone else comes to mind, some other friend in the program, someone else in your life. Maybe it isn't even a recovery friend, but your partner or a parent or a child. So good and healthy to send compassion, to see through the wise heart. I love this person. I care about them. I appreciate them. I want only happiness. I want only freedom. For this loved one, this friend. 
and how easily the heart gets attached, clings, creates suffering for ourselves rather than the non-attached, loving, open heart it becomes conditional, attached. So again, we bring in the equanimity. I care about you with compassion as much as I can in this moment. And I know that your happiness or unhappiness is going to depend upon your own wise actions. I understand that we are all heirs, inheritors, subject to our own karma, how we respond. I know this is true for myself and it's true for you. This act of releasing and letting go with love. Equanimity also reminds us that it's not what's happening. It's how we respond to what's happening that creates suffering. It's not whether or not people behave the way we think they should. It's how we respond to how people behave taking full responsibility for our own well-being and remembering that everyone's fully responsible for their own responses to what's happening. This is the Dharma. This is the path of recovery, of healing. You can see who else is hanging around in your heart, mind, people that you care about, rather than individuals. You can think of your sangha, your greater sangha. All of the people that were here when you came in, the people that came in around the same time or after you. All of the people at those meetings, those retreats. Maybe it's dozens in your world, maybe it's hundreds. These potential relationships, these other recovering addicts, this peer-led process of connecting and supporting, being generous, being kind, tolerant, 
Opening the heart with appreciation to all of the people that welcomed you, that tolerated you when you came in. Some of whom are probably still around, some of whom have departed on another path. Extending compassion to your whole Sangha, all of the people that support you, that you support, that you attend meetings with. With appreciation, with compassion. We all are subject to this first noble truth of suffering. We're all experiencing the repetitive craving pleasures. We're all on this path, the eightfold path of recovering, of healing, of awakening together. Just as the mindfulness of the breath teaches us the impermanence of sensation, participation in community teaches us the impermanence of relationships, how people come and go, maybe come back later, maybe not. Extending equanimity perspective to your whole community. Everyone's responsible for their own actions. Everyone's responsible for their own recovery, their own happiness. Everyone has our own karma. The Buddha's teachings give us the tools to learn how to respond wisely. But we can only respond wisely for ourselves. We can only train our own minds, our own hearts. We can only practice renunciation for ourselves. Everyone else has to do it for themselves. Our kindness, our generosity of our time and energy given freely without expectation. And when we find we've become attached to outcomes, we remember the equanimity we try to let go. Oh yeah, I got attached again. Softening the belly and letting go.
when you're ready, allowing your eyes to open, bringing your attention back to space you're in. And reflecting on these, this practice and this balancing act that we're encouraged to do, you know, um, train the heart to be loving and compassionate, to be connected and generous, and to uh, develop friendships and uh, to seek out people to walk this path with. So, you know, have a mentor and be a mentor and reach out to the new people when they come in and to be generous, to be connected. And to also understand the impermanent nature of all things, including relationships and maybe even especially relationships in recovery where um it's a small percentage of people that come and stay long-term. Uh, recovery is uh, unfortunately rare rather than like, yeah, if you get sober, you'll just stay sober. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. Or, you know, So many people come through our lives and don't stay. And even some people who stay for a long time don't stay in the long run when it comes to participating. Um, and maintaining abstinence and such. And there's this balance of, yes, total commitment to compassionate service, but up against this human condition that gets attached, that clings. And the ideal, you know, the, the wisdom ideal that the Buddha uh, encourages, teaches, which is non-attached connection to love, to serve, to connect. Because sometimes I know I'm in danger of this, and I think it's pretty common to say like, oh, well, attachment hurts too much, so I'm just going to disengage completely. I'm going to avoid. I'm going to detach. But this is not the Dharma. The Dharma is staying connected like this. <laughs> this is, you know, this is the, the hand puppet Dharma talk. This is clinging, but you know, when we're digging in, this is detachment also, right? Avoidance. This is non-attachment, connected feeling what's happening as it's happening without trying to control it and also not trying to avoid it and disengage from it, being connected to our own experience and to our uh, emotions and, and to the, the people that are coming and going uh, in, our, in our sanghas, in our communities, in our lives. A few years ago, I was going through a major upheaval, about five years ago now, major upheaval in my sangha and feeling um, quite... Uh, betrayed and just a lot of loss 
from some of the people who I had the idea would be long term. Like I, I had the idea that they would be lifelong Sangha friends. Um, and then it was ending. And I was um, talking, I was talking to my psychotherapist at the time, and she saw that I was doing this detachment and that I was doing this like, you know, Buddhist, you know, sort of like, I'm okay, I don't need them kind of thing. And she said, um, you know what, it's okay to need people. And I saw my own internal uh, resistance to the concept that it's okay to need people. And, and my initial response was like, mm -mm. <laughs> it is not okay to need people. And then I just paused for a moment. And I thought about my life and my recovery and my Buddhist practice and my commitment to Sangha. And I, you know, I was really pretty quickly able to say, oh, wait, I totally need people. Absolutely, I need community. I need people. I need people that inspire and encourage me. And I need, you know, peer level friends, people on the path. And 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 I need to be of service. It's such a big part of my, you know, I need to be of service to others. That's all of these levels of, uh, and I'm happy to call them all needs on some level. What I was resisting was her um, perspective that it's okay to need specific people <laughs> rather than people in general. And that's been my experience with recovery um, is that uh, I need to be part of community. It's so central, but it's a rotating cast of characters. And that actually when people leave, in whatever way, reject us, whatever it is, in whatever way, that's such an important wake-up call to like, oh, I'm not just, I'm not in equanimity here. I'm not in loving, compassionate non-attachment. I'm clinging. I think I need the specific people to stay rather than the humble uh, acknowledgement that um, we need each other. We need people in our lives, but they don't have to be those specific people. It's okay if, you know, the mentors change. I don't know how many people have had the experience yet where like a mentor or a sponsor relapses and, you know, and it's, it happens. And you're like, wait a minute, that's the person that was supposed to be my person. And now they're relapsing. And it can be very destabilizing for people um, when somebody that you're looking up to goes out, you know, relapses into addiction. But, you know, then you set, you know, doesn't take much reflection to be like, of course, we're addicts, addicts relapse sometimes. Uh, and um, accept like, yeah, and I need to find a new mentor. Uh, I heard recently some kind of sangha gossip about somebody who was, you know, saying like, I'm leaving refuge, and how destabilizing it was for some people and be like, so, you know, yes, people will come and go. And there'll be a core community that's here. And then we find new mentors and new people to look up to. I've had a handful of really important teachers in my life. And uh, I, I got really good advice early on when I started practicing and studying Buddhism. They said, don't take one teacher, find several teachers that inspire you. Because inevitably that one teacher will disappoint you, will disillusion. Uh, so don't put all of your eggs in one basket. 
be inspired by this teacher and that teacher, have this mentor, have that mentor, you know, have, you know, be open to uh, changing cast of friends and of Sangha members and of mentors and, and teachers in our lives. I hope that this um, topic is um, makes sense to you and is useful. I feel like it's a central piece of um, Sangha. And I, I tried in the book to address that Sangha is not all good all of the time, that it's also an opportunity for forgiveness and for non-attachment and for, you know, the messiness of human relationships. And um, I just wanted to remind everybody about that tonight. <laughs> uh, and I'd like to open to some dialogue questions, comments, your experience with uh, bringing this quality of equanimity and, you know, and, and compassion and non-attachment uh, to our recovery relationships. Uh, anybody who would like to say anything or ask any questions about it, you just raise your hand. It's down there at the bottom of the screen in the reactions tab. Uh, Sydney, go ahead, jump in. Hey, it's good Maybe to see you. Maybe turn on your camera if you don't mind. Oh, um, I'm at work right now. So okay, yeah, no yeah, sorry. Um, It's really good to see you, Noah, and thank you for the sit. Um, equanimity is something I really needed, I really needed to be reminded of today. You know, um, I'm having an experience. Well, someone I love is having an experience that just complete betrayal. And rather than me trying to control and manage and make that person feel better, I have to realize that they have to have their experience, you know, and they have their road to walk. And it's just, it's so difficult to not cling to that. And, you know, I've been having such a tough time, but I feel like I was able to release some of that energy in this sit. So I really appreciate it. And I just wanted to be part of my recovery today. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Sydney. I'm glad it was timely. And, yeah. and I was really trying to, I hope it made sense. What I was saying is that compassion is the appropriate response in that situation, but we can't quite stop that part of our heart that clings when we love and you know the long-term meditation helps us be less and less attached and more and more true compassion has no clinging in it it's just loving it's just caring without needing anybody to be different or even not in pain and this is so counter to our instincts which is like i love you i need you to not be in pain i don't want to see you suffer rather than I love you and I accept you even when you're suffering and it's okay for you to be suffering. Nope, that's helpful. Mark, go ahead, jump in. You hear me? All right. All right, um, I just want to thank you. Uh, perfect subject, been going through a lot of it, um, actually the last couple of days with uh, you know, the people in recovery, things like that. Um, but noticing the growth of the way I used to be attached and wanting to, I guess, be codependent. I want to save these people, as opposed to uh, just pretty much telling my side where I'm at and how I've gotten to where I'm at, sharing with my experience, and then making that opportunity for them if they want to, you know, but trying to uh, detach, uh, not feeling like I need to fix something 
Um, so that's been a lot of, it has everything to do with you and uh, the path that we're on. I like what you talked about, about, you know, the right cast of characters, because it is part of our eightfold path is the right community. And that community focuses on what we're doing to improve our, our life, our karma, our path. You know, of course, we want those people to support us. I tell everybody that I work with in uh, working in treatment that they need to right, find the right community. They need that support. But to not um, count on everybody being there forever, you know, but, you know, to find their path and help whoever they can along the way. But I just wanted, I just wanted to thank you. Because I remember um, watching you walk through stuff. Um, it was, I admired, I admired that and it helped me to start wanting to walk that same path too, you know, or to stay on that path because I wasn't finding that um, where I was looking for recovery before, you know, but, um, you know, just even uh, get, still getting what we would call a 12-step call like day before yesterday, even though I'm not even working that program anymore, but it's something that they've seen in what I found um, by not being that person so attached and clingy and all that, because I remember starting out that I needed those people so bad I was going like that dying man that needed a life jacket, you know, or a life uh, ring. And I was holding on to people like that when I really needed to, you know, feel from just have the community to support me. Anyway, thank you so much. It's always good to see you. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate it. Eric, go ahead. Yeah, thank you, Noah, and thank you for offering this teaching. I appreciate it. And um, I want to ask you a question. This wasn't the main thrust of your talk, but you did mention it, that uh, people responsible for their own suffering or happiness, we can't, we don't have power to cause that to happen. And so that reminded me of something I've wondered about before. It's many times in, in uh, Buddhist meditations, who will towards the end say, um, may all beings be free of suffering, you know, that kind of a wish. And so I've, that's puzzled me because, you know, I, as you said, we don't have power to make that happen for, for another person. And we're not imploring God to um, make it happen for us. So how does that have an effect on anyone else's suffering? That's my question. Um... It probably doesn't have an effect on anyone else's suffering, but uh, all of the loving kindness, what we call metta or loving kindness, or even the compassion practices or the equanimity, you know, all of these things that we're doing, it's about training our own heart and our own mind and developing the kind of mind that has kindness towards all living beings, that wishes for all living beings to not suffer. Uh, it's not a magic you know, sort of prayer bomb that's going to end anybody else's suffering but our own. But it will develop that thought pattern and that heart quality of, uh, you know, seeing somebody walking down the street and being kind and being compassionate towards them because I've trained my mind to do that, not just for my loved ones, but for all beings, for the strangers on the street, for the people on the other side of the planet, for all living beings. Uh, so that may all beings be free is for you. Now, sometimes, I don't know if I did it in any of the refuge meeting uh, meditations, but I will. We're going to add some new meditations. Uh, sometimes I like to do it like this and say, you know, may all beings be happy. May all beings do what needs to be done to be happy. So that, that's where the equanimity is coming in. May all beings be free from suffering. May all beings do what needs to be done to free themselves from suffering, because that's what we're really saying. 
Okay. Not may it magically happen. You know, we're doing that to develop that quality of love in our own hearts. But ultimately, equanimity is everyone has to do it for themselves. The Buddha, the enlightened Buddha was like, I can't make anybody else not suffer, but I can teach you how to end your suffering. Well, thank you. I appreciate that answer. That's a good one. And that's pretty much how I was thinking about it, but I wanted to ask. Yeah, no, I, it's a it's a good question. And I think it's also one of the reasons, I don't know if this is connected or not, but I appreciate the way that it's termed may all beings be free, that it's this sort of open, hum, it's like a humble uh, aspiration rather than, uh, you know, and also there's no we're not asking anyone really it's just this internal training and i like it better than especially like when it comes to sending it to ourselves may i be happy may i be at ease may i be free i like it as that humble aspiration rather than the affirmations where we say to ourselves i am happy i am at ease i am free where it's like as eh, not true yet <laughs> but i'd like to get there Thanks. Okay. Yeah, welcome. Thank you. Scott, go ahead. Thank you, Noah. I appreciate it. The first time I've uh, I've uh, been able to, to attend one of these. I've been um, just a couple of months in refuge, um, but I've learned so much. And, you know, I appreciate the message, especially the message tonight, for example, you know, equanimity, we, we're responsible for ourselves, we're responsible for our own actions. It's up to us to make the steps forward. And, if, and, and when I think about it, as, as you're talking about this, I realize that that's really the only thing I have control over is myself and my own actions. I don't, I can't control other people. I can't, I can try to influence them, but that's all. And, um, and then uh, and then going further with the, um, you know, um, attached connection um, with, with the palms as opposed to the clasped hands and understanding that difference. It's a huge difference. And, um, and I appreciate you kind of making that point, that relevant point for me to, to kind of get a better understanding as to the, as to the teachings and, and how I can be more responsible for myself and be more responsible for my relationships. Um, so I just wanted to, to weigh in and, and uh, show my appreciation for the message tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, welcome, welcome to Refuge. I'm, I'm glad it's resonating. Um, one of my Dharma teachers, long-term, this Buddhist monk I've been studying with for over 30 years, I've heard him say it a few times. I haven't really questioned him that much about it, but he says sometimes, he says, you know, I um, he says I never miss anybody. He says, my Dharma practice has brought me to being completely happy wherever I am with whoever I'm with. He said, and I have these, you know, lifelong, you know, 40, 50 year Sangha friendships, you know, his his teachers and his colleagues. And he said, and when we're together, it's really great he's like i really like it when i'm with you know the i'm paraphrasing but you know the old school dharma homies <laughs> like he's like, i really love it it's great but um when they're not there i don't miss them because i'm not attached 
you know, and that, that I, and so to me, it's like, wow, uh, whenever I hear that, I'm like, oh, I don't, I'm not there. <laughs> I'm 30 something years in and I totally miss people. I miss my partner when I'm not with her. I miss my kids like that, that part of my heart that's uh, still attached, you know, is I'd still, I'm still in process with it. But that that potential that will actually get to the place where there's that real loving non-attachment where everything is just as it's supposed to be right now. Nothing is missing. No one to miss is the potential of where this dharma can can take us and our recovery can take us. Um, complete contentment in whatever situation we find ourselves now some of you i know sometimes this gets a little highfalutin dharma uh, and some of you are brand new and you're just like how do i not drink today <laughs> and uh that's a you know not the topic tonight but you know every day that we don't drink and every day that we bring the mindfulness and the the compassion and we show up to the you know the sangha of the people who will show us like it's possible to not be in active addiction, then we, you know, get more and more free into this place because, you know, some of you've been at this for a long time, Mark, and some of the other people, and uh, and then you see like, okay, it's not about the substances or even the addictive behaviors. Now it's about how do I suffer in relationships? How do I show up in a loving and compassionate and non-attached way? I'm not drinking anymore. I'm not using. I'm not overeating. I'm not doing, you know, gambling or sex or whatever the addiction has manifested as. I've established abstinence and maintained abstinence. But uh, as the second noble truth shows us, it doesn't get rid of that repetitive craving and clinging. and where does it manifest? Sometimes right here in the Sangha, right in our recovery community, right in, you know, our relationships. So the next level is how do I, okay, I've successfully stopped drinking using. Now, how do I stop clinging? <laughs> Equanimity is going to help us stop clinging. The more we remind ourselves, everyone has their own karma. Everyone is responsible for their own happiness. And not using it to the point where it's detachment and we get too far over to the other side, uh, where I have the, you know, I've been guilty at times, I think, in my recovery, to that sort of like, I don't need anybody, of like coming back to like, oh, I totally need community. I need to be of service. I need to accept people being of service to me you know, receiving, you know, that's an, maybe a different topic for another night, but a really interesting one, you know, what's harder for you, giving or receiving? And, you know, that's an important part too. Like some, some of us get into recovery and we get good at giving. I was talking to somebody the other day, 25 years, you know, in recovery. And they were talking about how like giving, giving, giving. I feel comfortable when I'm in that position of being of service, but I can't ask anybody for anything ever. And it's and even when people offer, it's hard to receive. These are the next levels of our healing, I think, of our recovery. It's all connected. So maybe we'll leave it there for tonight. Maybe I'll talk about 
giving and receiving next time. Um, I'm going to end a few minutes early. I'm in San Francisco tonight. I'm on my way to the Refuge Recovery Conference in the morning, which is in Occidental. Uh, some of you probably are coming. Look forward to seeing some of you there, if not next year. Uh, upcoming Refuge Recovery things are October on the East Coast. Check it out. It's, it's online. Maybe Michelle will put the, the retreats, the October, uh, or no, it's September. September in Northern California, October in or in Southern California in September, seven day silent refuge retreat. And then in October, there's a I think it's a five day uh, it's either five or seven. I forget. Anyways, East Coast retreat, West Coast retreat in the fall, September and October. Um, those are the next two refuge recovery world services retreat opportunities. And uh, first Thursday happens every month. Sorry, I missed last month. I was in Mexico and the internet wasn't working appropriately. So it didn't, didn't happen. And um, any other announcements I'm forgetting, Michelle? My no, I can think of. Okay. Go to lots of meetings, help lots of people, start mentoring. If you're not mentoring, you know, put put your hand out, welcome the new people, even if you're pretty new, welcome the new people, you know, use our time and energy to, to support each other in that way. So um, many goodness that comes from our practice and discussion of the Buddha's Dharma be shared outward in all directions with all beings. May each one of us recover. And together, may we create a positive change on this planet. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for tuning in tonight. See you next time. Thanks, Noah. Refuge Recovery is freely offered. If you'd like to make a donation to support us, you may do so by following the link in the episode notes. We appreciate your generosity.